Thank you for joining us today. I'm Suzanne Carney of Council in the Corporate and M&A Department in Arthur Cox. Today, I'm joined as usual by Tom Courtney, partner here in Arthur Cox. Hello, everyone. In this episode, Tom and I are departing a little from our usual focus on taking key aspects of company law back to basics. Following the commencement of the Corporate Enforcement Authority Act, Tom and I are joined by Jonelle O'Cleary, partner in the Litigation and Dispute Resolution Department in Arthur Cox, a member of the firm's corporate crime group. Janelle has also recently been appointed as a member of the new Advisory Council Against Economic Crime and Corruption, with the brief of representing the interests of business and the financial sector. As many of our listeners will already be aware, the company's Corporate Enforcement Authority Act 2021 was signed into law last December and has just been commenced. This act introduces significant structural reform to the corporate crime enforcement regime in Ireland by amending the Companies Act 2014 to establish an independent statutory authority, the Corporate Enforcement Authority, replacing the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement, or ODCE, within the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. Today we are going to discuss some observations on how the new authority is likely to impact the enforcement of company law for companies and in particular for company directors. But first, Janelle, can you give our listeners some background on the ODCE, now the CEA? Thanks, Suzanne. To borrow one of Tom Courtney's phrases, some of our more mature listeners may recall the establishment of the ODCE in 2001 under the Company Law Enforcement Act. Tom was in fact a member of the McDougall Group on Company Law Compliance and Enforcement, which met as far back as 1998 and recommended the establishment of the ODCE. So the primary mandate of the director and his staff has been encouraging adherence to the requirements of the Companies Act and bringing to account those who may disregard the law. So the role and functions are both a combination of compliance and enforcement. More specifically, these functions include, for example, encouraging compliance with the Companies Act, investigating suspected offences and non-compliance under the Companies Act, the prosecution of summary offences, referring indictable offences to the DPP to consider, and the exercise of certain supervisory functions with respect to liquidators and receivers. So going forward, these functions will now be carried out by the Corporate Enforcement Authority. An interesting observation which has been made by Ian Drennan, the Chief Executive Officer of the CEA, is that the ODCE did not, nor will the new CEA have, an authorisation function in the same way as, for example, a regulator such as the central bank. Companies and their directors do not have any interaction with the authority on the establishment of the new company, which is incorporated directly with the CRO, nor do they have any ongoing interaction with the authority from a supervisory perspective. Accordingly, for the vast majority of companies and their directors, they'll hopefully never have any dealings with the CEA outside of perhaps consulting its website for helpful information. But for non-compliant companies and their directors, the investigative and enforcement function of the CEA is key. Janelle, one of the reasons for the establishment of the Corporate Enforcement Authority was to enable greater flexibility in terms of investigation and enforcement of suspected breaches of company law. Yes, that's right. As part of the White Collar Crime Package in 2017, the government appointed a multi-agency review group chaired by Mr James Hamilton, the former DPP, to report on anti-corruption and anti-fraud structures and procedures. What's known as the Hamilton Report was published in December 2020, 
and emphasised the need for appropriate reform in Ireland's approach to economic crimes and cited the associated risks from both a financial and a reputational perspective if Ireland fails to develop adequate protections against economic crime and corruption. In particular, the report identified a lack of resources for enforcement agencies as a matter for concern. For example, when dealing with large, complex cases or those that require specialist expertise. There's a new structure in the form of the Corporate Enforcement Authority is intended to address some of these shortcomings identified. Tom, from an organisational capacity perspective, how is the CEA better equipped to carry out these functions, in particular from an investigation and enforcement perspective? Yeah, the CEA will assume responsibility for what was previously the ODCE's caseload. However, critically, the CEA is now an independent statutory authority, similar to the CCPC, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. As an independent body, the CEA will have greater flexibility, budget and autonomy in recruitment. This is a key change and one which will allow the CEA to better respond to evolving challenges. While the CEA will be a multidisciplinary civilian agency, its officers will include a cohort of members of Angarda Shikona seconded on foot of a legislative provision to that effect. It's of note that the approved complement of Angarda Shikona members will also increase significantly from 7 to 16. Taken in the broader context of its other investigative professionals, which include forensic accountants and digital forensic professionals, this will certainly allow the CEA to increase its capacity for conducting criminal investigative work. In fact, I have recently been in touch with Ian Drennan, Chief Executive Officer of the CEA, who tells me that from an organisation capacity perspective, the CEA is well equipped to hit the ground running. As with its predecessor, the ODCE, the CEA will have a mandate to encourage compliance with company law and investigate suspected breaches. Do you think this is likely to be an area of increased focus? Yes, Suzanne, I think company directors can expect increased activity in that area of operation. From the CEA's perspective, it is, of course, preferable that companies and their directors operate within the law in the first place and therefore have no reason to encounter the CEA. The ODCE previously published helpful booklets and guidance to educate and encourage compliance, and I've no doubt but that the CEA will continue this important educational role under its statutory mandate to encourage compliance with the Companies Act. We should also note the role the CEA plays in terms of advocacy and influencing. The CEA will have membership of a number of key influential fora, including the Company Law Review Group, the Advisory Council Against Economic Crime and Corruption, the Forum Against Economic Crime and Corruption, and the Anti-Money Laundering Steering Committee. This will see the CEA well positioned to advocate and to seek to influence policy and legislation in a manner consistent with its statutory mandate and reflective of its experience in law enforcement. From an enforcement perspective, it may come as a surprise to some of our listeners, Janelle, that despite the new organisational structure and increased resources, the CEA will not have any increased powers of enforcement, for the moment at least. Yes, Suzanne, the Act does not in fact extend any additional investigatory or prosecutorial powers to the CEA other than those to date performed already by the ODCE. The CEA's initial remit is confined to company law offences. As you may be aware, the Hamilton Report had recommended increased investigative powers and an extension of the power to obtain evidence. The precursor to the Act, the General Scheme, 
envisages other powers for the CEA, including a statutory exemption for the CEA from the rule against hearsay to permit written statements to be admitted into evidence in addition to enhanced search powers related to electronic evidence. However, these powers have not been included in the Act. However, even without the enhanced investigatory and prosecutorial powers, I think we can expect increased activity in enforcement by the CEA. An example might be in the area of corporate insolvency-related enforcement. Yeah, I agree, Janelle. I already mentioned company directors being mindful in an era of increased focus on compliance. And I think as the CRO strike-offs recommence as COVID recedes, disqualifications of directors can be expected to begin to increase. Yeah, that's a good point, Tom. In addition, as a state COVID supports taper off, an increase in insolvency liquidations is widely expected to occur, particularly in more adverse impacted sectors of the economy. That will likely see increased activity levels in reviewing and opining upon liquidators' reports as to directors' conduct in the context of applications for restriction under Section 819 of the Act. Aside from insolvency-related aspects, is there any other likely area of focus for enforcement activity, Janelle? Suzanne, I think it can be anticipated that if it's well-resourced, the focus will predominantly be on more serious indications of wrongdoing. Such activity typically results in a file being submitted to the Office of the DPP for consideration as to whether charges should be directed on indictment, that is, as opposed to an initiation of summary prosecutions in the District Court. So a key takeaway is that company directors should expect an increased volume of investigation and prosecution regarding company law offences. As Tom observed earlier, several of the CEA officers will be secondees from Angarda Siakona. Janelle, will that make a significant difference to how such investigations are conducted? Yes, I believe so. An important point to note is that those CEA officers who are members of Angarda Siakona retain all of their powers as such members. Therefore, they will have at their disposal investigative powers under other legislative codes, for example, the Criminal Justice Theft and Fraud Offences Act of 2001. We should also note that a key source of information for the CEA is from those persons with a professional duty to report to the CEA where appropriate. These include statutory auditors, liquidators and examiners. Statutory auditors will continue to be obliged to notify the CEA if they form the opinion in the course of carrying out their audit that there are reasonable grounds for believing that the company and or its directors may have committed an offence. Additionally, the auditors may potentially be required to notify the CRO, who must then notify the CEA, where they form the opinion that adequate accounting records have not been properly maintained. That's right, Suzanne. The primary duty of statutory auditors to report to the CEA will undoubtedly continue to be the primary initial means by which suspected offences under the Companies Act will be brought to the attention of the CEA. Many of the offences reported under Section 393 are technical in nature and often represent inadvertent breaches of the Companies Act, for example, accidental errors in the financial statements. In working with uh, our clients who find they have inadvertently breached provisions of the Act, I find that the ODCE invariably took a very sensible approach and where they were satisfied that a breach was inadvertent, nobody was harmed and where the company took all steps it could to remediate the breach, the ODCE generally took the matter no further. I'd hope and expect that the CEA will take a similar approach. I think it's important uh, for companies to remember all of their obligations in this context. So companies must ensure that their compliance programs are robust 
and cover all relevant legislation, not just the Companies Act and all relevant regulatory areas. For example, some companies will also uh, have to be cognizant of IASO or perhaps the central bank or the CCPC. And probably all companies need to be cognizant of the HSA and the DPA. In addition, the CEA may investigate complaints it receives from members of the public. Tom, do you have any insights and potential areas of focus in this regard? Yes. While legislative measures introduced to mitigate the effects of COVID-related restrictions uh, generally uh, appear to be working well, for example, virtual AGMs, I do understand that there have been some complaints uh, made to the ODCE uh, of mem- by members not being treated in an appropriate manner. Uh, and this, I understand, has required some limited intervention by the ODCE. Insofar as it might be required into the future, I'd expect that line of activity to continue by the CEA. Janelle, looking ahead, do you see there being scope to further enhance the CEA's investigatory and prosecutorial powers? Suzanne, I do. The Hamilton Review Group Implementation Plan envisages further legislative measures to implement the findings of the White Collar Crime Review Group and strengthen CEA powers, including the enactment of legislation that enables CEA staff to participate in interviews with suspects detained by Angartha Siakona. Further legislative reform can therefore be expected as the government continues to act on the recommendations of that review group. Tom, in addition to establishing the CEA, the company's Corporate Enforcement Authority Act 2021 makes a number of helpful amendments to the Companies Act, largely technical in nature, but many of which will be welcomed by our listeners. Many of these amendments correct some of the anomalies that have been identified by practitioners with the Companies Act 2014, such as that the acquisition of uh, own shares by an unlimited company will not require just a distributable reserve, something that was never intended. Uh, Where a company acquires its own shares via a merger or division, those shares can be treated as treasury shares and accordingly may be cancelled or reissued. I was somewhat disappointed, though, that several of the issues previously identified in relation to domestic mergers have yet to be addressed. For example, regarding the merger between two DACs, clarification as to the updating of registers in the state, and in particular in relation to real estate, where the merger is approved via the summary approval procedure and correction of the perceived anomaly requiring the display of audited financial statements under Section 4711. However, I'm hopeful that these and other matters might be addressed in uh, future legislation. A point of note for our listeners is in relation to one aspect of the Act which is not yet being commenced. That is the provision which will require a company director to provide the CRO with their PPS number when presenting certain documents, including Form B10s. This is intended to verify the identity of a director where common names are frequently encountered by the CRO. For example, Tom, you might be registered as Tom Courtney, but you might also be registered as Thomas B. Courtney. Directors who do not have a PPS number will be required to provide other information concerning their identity, as determined by the registrar of companies. As I said, this provision has not yet been commenced, but how would you envisage it working in practice, Tom, once the provision is commenced? Yeah, look, well, I think it is generally a welcome development and that it will pose little or no problems for Irish residents who have a PPSN. I am somewhat concerned that it might create obstacles for non-resident directors or investors in Irish companies who do not have PPS numbers. The necessity for a Ben 2 form in the case of beneficial owners who do not have a PPSN has not been without difficulty. 
Great care, I think, needs to be taken as to what other information concerning the identity of the director who does not have a PPSN is determined appropriate by the registrar. Thanks, Tom. And thank you once again to Janelle for joining us today. If you have any questions on anything we discussed today, please feel free to contact Tom, Janelle or me or your usual Arthur Cox contact. Tom and I will be back with a new episode next month, returning to our usual focus on key aspects of company law. In the meantime, thank you for listening and goodbye.